Hello and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Coops, I'm your host, and today we have a special repeat guest. Chris Fox is back. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me. As you can see, my beard is thicker than ever. Yeah, it's looking very lustrous <laughs> and manly. I forgot to comment on that prior to the show, but let me get that up and recorded, you know, uh, all my beard jealousy. For those yeah, this who, is the longest that I look at myself in, in like a mirror, so I see myself in the camera. I'm like, oh my god, I need to shave. <laughs> it's good. I'll, we'll just keep doing these episodes every every month and a half or so, so you can get a reminder. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm here for, really. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I know we just had you on the show back in March, which was fantastic. We were talking about Dark Lord Burt, which is uh, a great look at uh, sort of the game lit and uh, that that genre and it, it was a lot of fun having you on the show but you're back because i wanted to dive a little bit more into your newest non-fiction offering which is ads for authors who hate math um so for just as a, a brief overview do you want to give people sort of a, a general idea of what this book is about and, and before we get into the weeds with it yeah so as the title would suggest this is for beginner and intermediate um level advertisers if you've been doing this for a long time and you've funneled a whole bunch of money through uh, ad spend you're probably not going to get a lot uh, out of this book but if you're looking for a good way to systemize your ads and run them in a manageable way what i call time blocks 30 minute time blocks mm -hmm. um this is a way to do it so lots of authors struggle to wrap their heads around advertising there's all this math that we've got to know you, know, you have to know what acos and cpc and all the other terms mean and most of that stuff's not that important, and you can profitably run ads without understanding how it all works. So I wanted to present a system for the rest of us where, you know, I could sort of uh, teach authors who don't excel at math how to run ads and, and still sell books. Yeah, and it's a it's a great hook because, you know, people like me, if you just say the word spreadsheet, it makes me want to run away. So, um, and I think there's a lot of authors out there who are like that. And I really liked that your uh, your tagline for this when you go to look at it is, you know, run your ads in 30 minutes a day because we're busy. You know, we've got all. Mm -hmm. of, I think one of the biggest complaints you hear from from writers, especially in the in the self publishing space, is that I don't want to do the marketing. I just want to write. That's probably you know echoed you know. Every day, somewhere, there's someone saying that right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> at every, every moment of the day. Um, so I think it's a great hook. I think it's something that, that a lot of people are going to be able to relate to. And because um, and, 30 minutes plays into it. Uh, that's a big, big part of your, your hook here. Can you tell people a little bit about that? Yeah. So for me, it's 30 minutes. For you, it might be 20. It might be 15. Um, I did this based off of the same sprints that I use in 5,000 words per hour, where I would silo an activity and say, okay, for this time period, I'm just doing the one activity. And maybe I'm jumping a little ahead of myself. But in the book, I'm segregating those. So one day I'm building audiences. The next day, maybe I'm creating some new ad copy, like a whole document's worth. I'll write, write a bunch of different um, copies that I'm going to be testing out. And then the next day, I'll go gather a bunch of images. Uh, and then maybe the day after that, I'll do some pruning. So my, my activities are siloed into these 30-minute blocks so that when I'm doing a time block, I'm only doing that one activity. Which is great because it's so easy to get distracted, especially in ads, because there are these different elements to it. And you're like, okay, oh, I need this. Let me go over and look and look for this and see if I can whip something up real quick. And they're like, oh, now you're over in Canva. And now you just spent an hour uh, trying to piece <laughs> together something that you know, some ad image, and it's you ran into some trouble. And then you get back to it, and you're like, oh man, there went all my time for advertising. I didn't even get an ad done. So mm -hmm. I think it's it's smart the way you've done it and compartmentalized. And it's obviously a much more organized method than most people uh, use. So maybe we can talk talk about that. Um, you know, we've got a, got a comment here. Said somebody, someone's reading Six Figure Author right now. So they said, uh, 
And thanks to 5,000 words per hour, I found about found out about sprints. Chris, you're great. So I, I totally stole it from the software world. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, that was uh, Amanda Bird commented. And uh, so Amanda's watching. Hi, Amanda. Thanks for, thanks for tuning in and saying hi. Um, so, Chris, one of the things, before we get into the details about how to make this system work and some of the different component elements of it, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the idea of uh, whether or not people should even be attempting this yet. Um, because a lot of people in this space are saying, oh, yeah, you, just, you absolutely have to advertise to get anywhere right now. Like the market, you, you're just going to be lost in oblivion if you don't advertise. But that's not necessarily always true. You have a little bit of, you have a few questions for authors to ask themselves before starting out. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that as an author, before you decide to spend even a dollar on advertising, you need to conduct a brutal self-assessment of your own work. And you need to look at your cover and you have to have this conversation with yourself where you ask yourself, is this as good as I can afford mm -hmm. or is this the absolute best cover in my genre? And if the answer is not, it's the absolute best cover in my genre, then any money that you would spend on advertising should instead be spent on improving that cover. The product that you are advertising, the visual appeal of that book is the most important thing to selling it, more so than mm -hmm. the quality of the writing, more so than the blurb, more so than anything else. And probably the number one thing that I see authors do is they'll try to find more inventive strategies to advertise their books, but their cover is is kind of just not where it needs to be. And and there's the sunk cost policy that, that we don't want to, you know, get rid of that and put something else in its place, even though we know it might be a problem. And I would say do that assessment before you even consider advertising, because if you're going to advertise and you've got a cover that's not getting the job done, then you're just going to really be, be wasting money. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, you know, it's, um, you know, wading into this space without having those things set. I feel like it's, you know, it's like putting to sea with a leaky boat. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like once you're in the out there, like there's no fixing that leak. Like you've got to come back ashore, fix the hole in your boat. Cause otherwise it's just going to keep, you know, losing in this case money. Uh, which is mm -hmm. you know a valuable asset, and you may only have a limited amount of it to spend. And if your if your boat's leaking all over the place, maybe your blurb isn't working. But yeah, of course your cover your cover is like the main the main component of your boat here. Uh, in this case, like you're saying, so yeah, it it makes sense to patch all those holes before you mm -hmm. set sail. And uh, that's that's not something not a lot of people are saying necessarily. I mean, well, they say it in, in various ways, but I think it's a, a very important point to make before people dive into this. Um, so I appreciate that you were very upfront with people about that. Um, and I like the I like your standard there too. I like that it's not just what I can afford, but the best because I feel mm -hmm. like every day the best gets better. So if yours mm -hmm. isn't the best of the moment, good luck. You know, next week when someone else comes out with something even better, you know, or the, or the genre expectations change or something, you know, you know, this, this is a fast paced business. So yeah, definitely put to sea with a good boat there. Um, so we have a variety of different advertising options. Of course, uh, there's different platforms out there for us to, to use. You get into a few of the different platforms, um, in ads for authors. Uh, but as far as if people are just starting out, do you have a recommendation for which one to start with? Uh, for most people, I would say like 80% of the authors that are, are reading the book, I would say either Amazon or Facebook. And those are the hardest platforms in that they are very saturated, but they're also mature. People understand how to sell on them. You have all the tools necessary to sell your books. Uh, and they both have some major pros. So those are the easy ones. There are lots of other smaller platforms that are not nearly as saturated. 
but they require a lot more specialized knowledge of the platform. Like advertising on Tumblr is very different from advertising on Reddit, which is very different from advertising on, say, BookBub. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you think it's wise for people to have a little bit of success at least one of the other platforms before branching out there? Just to test kind of your um, copy and your cover and things like that? Really, I think it, you should pick a platform that you enjoy and just work on that one. So maybe mm -hmm. you like Reddit and you use Reddit all the time. And so even though it's not the platform most authors are using, you're going to double down and try that. Mm -hmm. um, it's fine. I would say invest your time in one ecosystem and learn that ecosystem. It doesn't really matter as much which ecosystem it is. Yeah, I think that's that's a valid point. Um, I see John is watching. Marilyn is watching. Hi, guys. Thanks for, for tuning in and saying hello. Um, one of the things I know for me that took a little bit of understanding when it came to the different platforms was understanding that you can use them for different purposes. Um, for example, Amazon ads are great for just sort of long-term, um, lower visibility maybe, but just sort of continual, continuous visibility that doesn't spend the, the whole bank um, every day. If you set your budgets at a reasonable rate, that it's not going to take all of your money. Sometimes it's even difficult to get them to spend. Um, Whereas Facebook, it has a maybe can you can ramp those up a little bit more to spend a little bit more on a on a given day, um, or maybe use them around a launch, for example. And then mm -hmm. Bookbubs were were definitely more focused, like targeted time slots, almost like where I really want to spend a lot on this particular day to launch this particular book into the stratosphere. It seems like that's the most useful way to use those. Would you agree with that, or or do you? I, I would. In all three of those. So so you're going to get a lot more power on, I think, other platforms in the short term. So if you need to launch something, you're going to be leaning a little bit on BookBub and a little bit on, um, you know, Facebook and, and maybe even Reddit. But Amazon is kind of your slow trickle spend where you've got X number of ad dollars pointed to the first in series. And you just do that internally. Like I have ads that have been running for three years now with no change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do, too. And I think if, if you find a winner, you can let it running. Let it run and it'll, mm -hmm. it'll you know keep going for a while as long as it's you know, nothing major changes. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's important for people to understand that there's different functions, different goals kind of to achieve with the different platforms. Um, and also there's, there's a big, obviously you're the right to market guy. So you understand obviously more than anyone, the importance of genre and uh, how that can affect your advertising because not all things are created equal when it comes to advertising. Can you talk a little bit about, um, how to analyze your own genre to see what might be right for your ad, which ad platform might be right for you? Well, this advice is going to sound very familiar. You need to advertise to market. Mm -hmm. And that means you have to understand your audience. So, like, you really actually need to do some role-playing. I want you to pretend like you're five or six years old when we used to play Cops and Robbers or G.I. Joe or whatever your, your game you played as a kid was mm -hmm. and get in the head of the person that is your reader. When they're scrolling through their Facebook feed and they see an ad, what is going to make them click on that and want to read that book? What about it would? What would make you click on it? Mm -hmm. And then give them that. And that mm -hmm. could be maybe an expert or an excerpt rather from the books. So maybe it's two pages of great action from one of the best scenes in your book that you know that fantasy fans are going to love. And so you put that two pages of text in your ad and they read that two pages and they click through and they buy it. Yeah. It's all about theorizing what you think your audience is going to be interested in and then testing it by giving it to them. So you, you think, okay, maybe they're going to be interested in this type of ad. I'm going to try that. If it works, great. I'll build on that knowledge. If it doesn't work, then I'm going to try something else. But it's all about that constant you know, experimentation and theorizing what is my, my audience doing? What are they interested in? And, and what is going to get them to click on my ad? Yeah. Um, and I, I have 
I've actually got a revelation from your book while I was reading it um, in regard to this was because of the way that you talk about, and we'll talk about this a little bit more when we talk about creative and, and creating your creative, but you use the example in the book of, um, for example, that you write space fantasy. So you've got you know, dragons and you've got spaceships as options for things that you can put in a Facebook ad. And I said either one of those would kind of get people in the right mood and, and preferably just combine both of them. Because if you get spaceships and dragons, that's, that's more accurate to your genre and what you're writing. And I thought, that's great. You've got very strong, bold imagery that's very evocative of a very particular genre. Anytime somebody sees a dragon, they're thinking fantasy. Like it, There's no <laughs> other way around it. And for me, that was a big revelation because I write in a small subgenre of science fiction. It's time travel. And when you think about time travel, there isn't a very specific thing. I can't just be like spaceship. I can't just be dragon because there isn't a very strong image that evokes the genre exactly, you know, where one thing points right to the genre. Like, and also, like, you can put, like, a clock on it, but people are like, okay, there's a, there's a cool watch. Like, but watches aren't that sexy. They're not as sexy as dragons. They're not as sexy as spaceships. You know what I mean? So you but, they are, but they are to time travel fans. I'm, I love time travel, and I'm not even that into watches. <laughs> so, but um, I, but I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, looking at the thumbnail for your first book, you've got yeah. the word cron, time. Yeah. Like, that being there, that is a symbol to us in our brain. If I like time travel, I yeah. saw cron, I immediately know when I see this wrist and I see this yeah. uh, watch on it that that's a time machine device. Like, I don't have to read your description to know what that's going to be. True. Yeah, when it comes to cover images, I think I did pretty well on those. But it, what I realized, though, was when I went to go look around... Um, Facebook for maybe I'm shopping around on Shutterstock or wherever for for images. There's not a ton. There's not like I'm really looking for. I'm switching genres right now to another one that's going to have a, a lot of swords and fast cars. There's so many images on the internet with swords. Like a girl <laughs> with a sword. Like I can find ten thousand girls with swords right now. Whereas mm -hmm. if I go on there and search time travel, I'm going to get some wormholes. I'm going to get maybe some hourglasses and some watches, and then that's about it. Like so my pool of overall images is much lower based on my genre. And I can imagine that there are other authors out there as well who have sort of sub-genres that also struggle to find good imagery. Because, for example, I don't have a romance necessarily element in my book, so I can't just put a couple on there and be like, okay, it's going to be something romantic. So I think you have to think and find whatever your genre is. I think you do have to look for the symbols that represent your genre. And obviously, I think if you have a great genre that has a lot of symbols related with it, I would imagine that that's going to give you a little bit bigger pool uh, of creative content. Absolutely. And it's harder with a smaller genre, too, like in, in time travel. But, I mean, you yeah. can make your own symbols like you did with your own cover. You can, um, yeah. One of the stories that Lisa and I were talking about recently is the idea, um, we were just you know, sort of riffing back and forth about wouldn't it be cool if... What if you stumbled across a window, a time window? So it's not a time machine. It's just a window, and you can look mm -hmm. at anywhere in time. You know, what would the ramifications of that be? And we yeah. started kind of riffing back and forth. Well, if I wanted to make a cover that would convey what a time window is, and I made the title of the book Time Window, all I'd have to do is show one person in modern clothing on one side of that window, and on the other side, show whatever time period is relevant to the book. Yeah. And thus, you have conveyed to the reader, this is what you're going to get when you see this. Yeah. Well, that's very creative. And I think that it pays to kind of think outside the box, because I, I think... One of the keys here, again, this is sort of something I've sort of had to work with after coming to this first mm -hmm. realization, was that one of the goals is to make the viewer do as little work as possible. 
on their end because they're just scrolling through Facebook. They've got you've got maybe a second or two to get their attention and then actually translate this image into their brain as what it is they're going to be getting and decide for them to decide to like it. So, um, you know, obviously, like if you're going to have the the power of you know the the sexy couple for a romance book is going to be we're all wired to to, to see that and like focus on it. And, and so you have to kind of come up with a creative that is going to be arresting their attention, but then also like immediately translate. So I think it's, it's interesting thinking about having to find a way to do that quickly. And that's mm-hmm. where like your time window would be great because it very clearly in a very simple manner shows what we're getting. Um, mm-hmm. So I think the people that are using ad creative that is a little bit more abstract, we're like, what am I even looking at? Um, and, uh, I know Dave Chesson watches sometimes, but I, I'm not gonna throw him under the bus right now, but he has an ad running right now for KDP Rocket that has like uh, a steampunk couple girls with like a, uh, they're almost like a steampunk Alice in Wonderland outfit. And, mm-hmm. um, I looked at this image multiple times. I'm like, oh, this is cool. And I'm like, oh, that's another KDP Rocket ad. And I'm like, that's not what I expected when I see the steampunk girls in the Alice in Wonderland. I'm like, this is, oh, dang it, Dave. Like, this is not what I wanted, wanted to click on. I already have KDP Rocket already. So <laughs> it's like, stop sending me all your ads. Um, but this is just one of those examples of things like, like you definitely want people to get what they expect. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you, people go and click on it, and then it's something completely different. Like, if I'm really into uh, steampunk Alice in Wonderland girls, and I click on that ad, I'm probably going to be a little bit disappointed that this is an author, author software. Right. But which is going to be a wasted click. It's going to raise your cost per click. I mean, it's, it's bad for everybody on every side of that transaction. Yeah. Well, hopefully Dave's making it work, but, um, <laughs> that's my, my advice, Dave, just in case, um, give me some, give me some free feedback. Um, so yeah, let's talk. So that's, that's images. Let's talk a little bit about, mm-hmm. I, I am not creative when it comes to imagery. I don't have a background. I don't have Photoshop. Um, so when, when you talk about your 30 minutes of, of creating an ad or, or collecting images, for example, um, that's not something that I have a great skill set for. So for me, a lot of it is trying to find things that are already ready made or find mm-hmm. easy solutions. Can you talk about some of the some of the easier solutions to the creative problem? Yeah, the easiest solution is Shutterstock.com, and there are a whole bunch of other similar sites where you can get images. And usually you're paying for a multiple package, like um, 10 images a month, let's say, is maybe $30 a month at at Shutterstock. Um, So then you would go through and you'd find 10 images each month that fit your particular books. And over time, you're gradually building up a library of images that fit. And let's say you're writing about Egyptology. You've got, you know, a book set in ancient Egypt. You're going to get a bunch of different pyramids and a bunch of different pharaohs because the, the act of symbolic recognition in our brains, our brains saying, okay, we've seen the symbol that we know. Oh, that's a dragon. Oh, that's a pyramid. Oh, that's a stop sign. That act is actually pleasurable, especially if it's a, a symbol that we have positive associations with. Mm. And so each time you can give them a different image that is allowing them to realize the same symbol, there's a new chance that they're going to resonate with that ad. So you're not just showing them a dragon. Over the period of two weeks, you're running 18 different dragons, and you're testing to see which ones that the audience likes, and then you're going to keep the four or five that really confer. And a site like Shutterstock is where you find a bunch of those. Okay. And say I find an image, but I need to do some tweaking on it. Um... How do I get that done? Uh, you have a number of different options. Probably the cheapest way of doing that, I would say, is Canva. Canva is free to work with initially, and lots and lots of people use it. Um, mm-hmm. I use BookBrush, and I've got a, a little paid advert for this, so I do get a kickback. I have an affiliate link for it, um, so be, be aware of that when I talk about them. Mm-hmm. The reason I like BookBrush is the minimum number of clicks. 
So when I'm making ads and I have to make, say, like 25 ads in a row, I want the minimum number of clicks. And it does basically the same thing Canva does, where I can take the image I've grabbed from Shutterstock, I drop it in, I put whatever information I want about, you know, it's on sale for 99 cents. So, like, we all know what the ads look like on the BookBub platform. If I want to tailor it for BookBub, you select that as an ad size, and then I just add a few details, and I'm good to go. Yeah, it's so nice having a template for things where you can just drag mm-hmm. and drop and put your book cover image in there and then have something ready to go. Because if you're in a time crunch, which all of us are, and um, <laughs> or if you're like me and you're just super non-techy, uh, it's just nice. Um, I see Boo Walker's watching. I see Monica Leonel is watching. Hi, hi guys. Good to, good to see you. Uh, thanks for tuning in and saying hello. Um, uh, Amanda Bird says, I found Facebook more useful for additional list building and like you, BookBub, for bigger boosts and AMS for long term. Um, yeah, so another, that kind of validates what we were talking about a little bit with her experience as well. Uh, again, comes back to your goals because one of the things you talk about in the book too is uh, understanding your goals with your ads. It's not always just mm-hmm. in sales. Sometimes it is just brand recognition, things like that. And one of the things you talk about uh, when it comes to the analyzing your ads is finding whether they're profitable and stuff is not just about how much money you're making, but also how much is it actually helping you achieve your goal. Um, do you want to expand on that a little bit? Uh, yeah, so I call it the aggregate sales model. Uh, and it's really straightforward. You're just taking all the revenue that you earn for a given series. You're subtracting your production costs uh, and any advertising that you got for it. And then you're either making a profit or you're taking a loss. Mm. And I, I make it that simple. I lump everything together. Sales, Kindle Unlimited, paperback, audio, every form of revenue I'm getting for that series into one pool. And all that matters to me is, am I losing money or am I making money? If I'm spending $5,000 in ads, I don't really care necessarily where it's profitable if I'm making 20000 you know, off of that. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's some basic math that we can handle because, I mean... The, the book is titled Ads for Authors Who Hate Math, but there is still a little bit of math. You still got to do a little bit. But hopefully it's positive, profitable math. Um, and like we're, we're making more than we're, we're spending. Um, can we talk a little bit? One of your other, um, you've got a couple other blocks that you break your time into. So maybe we can dive into a couple of those. Um, one is, of course, besides our creative, we have to create good ad copy. Uh, to go along mm-hmm. with our ads, especially, well, as long as, if we're not using AMS, AMS, well, you need to add copy for that too, but um, what are some of your tips for making sure that your ad copy is hitting the mark for your book and your genre? So you're going to hear this over and over. It comes back to, to your audience. You're, you're trying to write something that's going to intrigue your audience, and so all you're going to do is think about, well, what is my audience going to be interested in? And what about my books is interesting. And if you're not sure what the answer is, start thinking about other properties that you're interested in. So if you like Jurassic Park, well, what really cooked you about Jurassic Park? Why were you interested initially? If you like, you know, Star Wars, what is it about Star Wars? Is it the laser swords? Is it the force? Is it, you know, the Death Star and the, the, mm-hmm. the ships battling in space? Get to the root of what your audience is interested in and then show them exactly that. Okay. Uh, obviously through words in this case. Uh, and mm-hmm. of course, we don't have a lot of space. Uh, of course, we're getting more used to this with the you know the age of Twitter, things like that, where we're having to be more concise and edit our, our uh, descriptions down to smaller little tidbits of, of information for people to consume. Um, what are some of your some of your tidbits of advice for uh, trimming this stuff down to manageable uh, text that people can absorb quickly? So I picked um, six words as a totally arbitrary number. I decided mm-hmm. that's what I want to fit all of my taglines into. And I feel like anything longer than that, and you're out of time. If you haven't delivered a cogent message to your reader's psyche by that point, they've checked out. 
So what they're doing is they're scanning these words, the first few words, and they're looking for symbols. And there's symbolic recognition happening in their brain. And if enough symbols resonate, they're going to be all over it. So they'll look for tropes like, oh, it's a betrayal story. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a romance. They're looking to detect things from the first few words that they read. And so it's your job to tell them exactly what it is they're going to get. Yeah. You have to open a loop and get them interested enough to read further, but you also have to, also have to get them to, to recognize at least one symbol they're comfortable with. Yeah, and I think that hooks back a little bit and resonates and echoes to what Brian Meeks was saying when he was on the show a few mm-hmm. weeks ago, where he also kind of goes with the six-word concept where you've got to be able to get it get it in quickly. And also, like, I like your idea of saying open loop because mm-hmm. the, the purpose of that line is to get them to read the next one. Mm-hmm. So you've you've asked a question or you've begged a question, at least in their mind, of they want to read more. And um, you, you you have some great examples in the book of, you know, you write your ad copy, but then you highlight, okay, these are the things that I really wanted to get in there, the specific words that, you know, mm-hmm. are electrifying my particular genre and uh, resonating with them. So I think that's important for all of us to kind of, again, shift mindset, like you talk about, from writer brain back to, to reader brain and shopper brain mm-hmm. and and figure out what are those words that really hook us and um, make sure that we've got at least some of those. So we got a tagline. You've got your first six word, um, you know, hook. What's the rest of your copy going to be looking like? I keep it short and punchy. I make sure that somewhere in that ad it is very clear that they're getting an ebook or an audiobook or whatever it is that I'm selling them so they know what it is before they click on it. Because your, your biggest loss in conversion is if you're not clear what you're selling and they think it's a video game or a movie or a TV show, then you've lost a sale. Mm-hmm. So I make sure that some of that copy is addressing the fact that it's a book. Uh, and beyond that, I usually keep it to a minimum. I'm not trying to get too many more details in there. Um, I go with, excuse me, one of four different types of ads. So either I'm grabbing an excerpt from the book, in which case it could be very long. I can grab two, three pages of, of action-packed prose. Um, I can make it a comparison where I'm, I'm leaning on a symbol that I know that they're going to recognize. If they're huge fans of the Avengers and my book is like the Avengers, then I'm going to make that comparison mm-hmm. and try to get my foot in the door that way. Um, you you uh, frequently can scan your reviews if you've already had books out for a while and look for gems that people have said about your series. So one of the ones that I found for the Dark Lord Burt was it's the Deadpool of Gamelet, which I would never have thought of on my own, but I liked it, and so I started using that in copy. Yeah, absolutely. If someone compares your book to something else that's wildly popular, then don't be shy about it. Um, I know early on when I first had some reviews from the Chronathon, someone compared it to um, the Hunger Games. They're like, it's like he's like, it's, it's the Hunger Games of time travel, or something like that. And I'm like, oh well, thank you very much. He, it, although he put it, interestingly enough, he put it in like a two star review. He didn't actually like that. He didn't like the Hunger Games, I guess. And uh, but I'm like, well, thank you for the tidbit anyway, because that sentence mm-hmm. you said is gold. So I still have it in my quotes, <laughs> even though I don't, I don't list how many stars he gave it in the in their quote. But it is a legit quote. Mm-hmm. And I said I liked the Hunger Games, so yeah, I'm going to take it. Um, but yeah, you never you never know what people are going to say about your book, and sometimes they surprise you. So uh, mm-hmm. I knew that. Um, so now we've got our copy, we've got our our creative if we need it, and we we're down to actually creating these ads. Um, so we're going to spend at least one of our thirty minute blocks actually doing ad creation. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? What goes into it, and um, how we know if we're doing it right? Well, that one's super simple. You're just picking a platform and you're going with it. Um, So I would probably start with Amazon if I was a terrified new author and and wanted to spend a little money because you can do it in like four or five clicks. It's Mm -hmm. super, super easy for you to set up like a $5 
automatic targeting ad and then let Amazon start distributing your book through their ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, one step you, you, you didn't discuss that the audience might be interested in, though, is I, I would absolutely devote at least one time block to defining my audience before yeah. I started making my first ad. Absolutely. Yeah, let's get, let's get into that because that is a, a huge step because you have to understand who you're selling to before you start selling, right? Right. Um, and the 30, 30 second thumbnail is you want to know everything about them as relates to their entertainment practices. So it's great to know their rough age. It's great to know, oh, maybe they live in this geographic era, area. But what's far more important is the this particular person was alive when Star Wars came out and remember seeing it in the theater. Um, mm-hmm. What other movies were they watching then? And five years later, what were they watching? And 10 years later, what were they watching? Were they playing any video games at that time? What books were they reading? What movies were they into? What TV shows did they like? Mm-hmm. Um, were there board games that came out that they were interested in? And your job is to build as complete a profile as you can about every phase of that person's life and everything they might have been interested in. Because what you've done is really make a huge list of keywords that you can now use in, in defining your audiences on various platforms. Yeah, and I know in the book you, you highlight a lot about you know trying out different genders, try running ads to just all men or just all women and see how the results are, different age demographics. I think it's very important mm-hmm. to understand. I was very surprised when I first did some surveys of my uh, email list that, I, that most of my readers were over 50. Over 50% of my readers are over 50. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously if you're writing a much younger audience and you've, you're targeting 18 to 24-year-olds and you use a Cool Hand Luke reference, you're not gonna you're not gonna hit you know like you've got to mm-hmm. use information that they're they're gonna be familiar with obviously um, so yeah I think that's a valid valid point how are you because um, I know some authors will say oh yeah I target other authors audiences some are saying oh I just match Kindle with this other interest um, what do you have any, any recommendations there for how you actually put them together or how many how many things you want to have match. Um, I try to keep it as narrow as possible. So like mm-hmm. if I am targeting other authors, I want to only target a few authors. So I might do that author, some of their protagonist names, um, all the names, of the books in their series. And maybe if there are two other authors that are very, very similar to that one author, I might do that for all three authors in one ad and call it a day. Mm. And I know that I've heard rumors anyway that Facebook is making some changes. It's making it even harder to target authors. There's not a lot of authors on there uh, to start with compared to the total amount of authors out there. Um, yeah, you, know, you, you have limited options sometimes if you're in a smaller genre like me, and there aren't a lot of big time travel names out there to target. Um, so you have to get a little bit more creative mm-hmm. with your audiences. Um, and I know that if that is changing in the future and it becomes even more difficult, um, then you know obviously you got to find some creative creative solutions there. Uh, any advice on that? If you're not using, yeah, Amazon? yeah, I, I think. What I see from most people is, okay, we're running into a problem where we're not selling as well as we used to, and so we're immediately looking at, okay, how can we improve our ads to do that? Mm-hmm. And so we're looking for one you know, tip or, or quick fix that's going to do that. We need to, to reverse our whole methodology. And so instead of targeting that one author, which we all know works because it's a, a cheap, easy way for us to sell our books, mm-hmm. get into the heads of your audience. And again, think about all the things they're interested in, and you'll find that the keyword of that author that you were going to use, while that's important, it's not any more important than the TV shows that your audience was watching when they were 5 to 10 years old. Those yeah. things that left deep, deep imprints in their psyche and, and the kind of nostalgia that companies like Disney is regularly tapping into and, and focus more on that. And so it doesn't really matter if Facebook changes and says, hey, you can't target authors anymore. If you understand your audience, you'll still be able to target something that they love. Yeah, and that's more 
praise for having your own Facebook group or doing surveys, interacting with your readers as much as possible because you can you can throw that up in a quiz real quick in your Facebook group and say, hey, what were your favorite TV shows? You know, and see what kind of responses you get and then turn around and take that information and put it into your ad campaigns. You know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. I, if you under, understand who's reading your books and who's interacting with you and building a relationship with you as a, as a reader... Um, that's going to be that's going to be big and helpful. Uh, David Frank says two of my favorite humans. The power level of this live is over nine thousand. <laughs> David, <laughs> uh, David, thank you for the for the wonderful compliment, and uh, you're one of our favorite humans too. So thank you for for watching. Agreed. Saying, uh, um, so okay, so we've we've built an audience. We've gotten our creative together. We've written some stellar ad copy. We've created some ads, but now we have to maybe decide some of them might be duds. How do we? prune these suckers and get them um, streamlined. So Facebook has a stat called relevancy, which you can look at, and I think that's a good metric. But ultimately, the only metric I care about uniformly across all platforms is cost per click. Hmm. I want cheap clicks. And when I say cheap clicks, I want cheap relevant clicks. I want to know that when they clicked on this ad, they knew it was a book that they were clicking through to. But I want those, those clicks as cheap as possible. And because I'm using the aggregate sales model, none of the rest of it matters at all. I don't care about the average cost of sale because you know what? Maybe the person who clicked through on that Facebook ad ended up buying an audiobook. Maybe they ended up buying a paperback. Those aren't going to be reflected in those sales. I'm not going to see in any way, shape, or form that I made a profit for that. So if I'm tracking a metric um, on an advertising platform, like let's say Amazon, average cost of sale, that's wildly inaccurate if you're enrolled in Kindle Unlimited, if you have other you know channels where people can buy your products. Yeah. So I take a big step back and I only look at the bottom line of the, am I making a profit or am I taking a loss? And then when pruning my ads, I look to see, okay, how long has this been running and, and what is the cost per click doing? If it's below average, then I'm going to study that ad and I might feed it some more budget. If it's above average, and then I'm going to cut some budget and, and maybe kill that ad entirely. And when I do that, I'm going to look at why. So I'm going to compare, okay, ad A is doing well and ad B is doing poorly. What's different about them? Are they targeting different audiences with the same ad copy? Are they targeting the same audience, but they have different ad copy? Well, why do I think the audience is responding to this one? It's really harnessing your inner five-year-old and just having them ask why, why, why constantly as you're, you're sitting there examining what you're doing. Mm. Yeah, and that sounds like a, uh, a challenging half hour <laughs> for uh, figuring out some of these things. I know that... I, uh, I can't say I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know I'm in, I'm in Kindle Unlimited with my time travel series, and it's very challenging because KU is at least 50% of my income there and it's just doesn't mm-hmm. show up on the dashboard. So it's like, I, sometimes I'll go to kill an ad because I, you know, I see a, an ACOS of, you know, something terrible. And then all of a sudden my revenue goes down because I killed that ad. And I'm like, gosh, darn it. You know, like that was working, but I had no way of knowing it was working. And uh, I have uh, I have an ad running at 4,000% average cost of sale right now. Oh my gosh. And I have it running because I turned it off and my Kindle unlimited page rates just plummeted the next day. Yeah. I did that this past month where I turned a few things off and didn't pay super close attention to which things I turned off. I was just turning off mm-hmm. things that seemed expensive. And then all of a sudden my income dropped like you know, precipitously. And I don't know which <laughs> ones to turn back on. So I'm like, I don't want to just go back and turn on everything because some of those were terrible. You know, so, but I'm tempted to just go back and reactivate everything I've got just to see what mm-hmm. happens and then start over. Which maybe I'll, I might go do that this afternoon. I don't know, but I'm just tired of tired of uh, you know I'm tired of the mystery element of this. But I do like um, so when you came out with this book and you said, okay, we're we're just gonna simplify some of this. We're just are you making more money than you're spending? And it's like okay, that I can understand. Um, 
What other tips for, for, for pruning have you got for us? Um, Do you like that vague? vague I don't question? know. See how, so why yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm very hesitant when pruning. So what I'll do is, is always step. So if I've got an ad, like let's say that's running at $10 a day and it looks like it's doing worse than expected, I'll cut it to $5. Okay. And then if a couple of days later it hasn't improved, I might cut it to $2 and then I'll kill it. Okay. So I try to do things less, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is, less impulsively maybe, and, and say, oh God, things are going poorly, these ads are expensive, turn them off. Mm-hmm. Maybe reduce budgets and also try to keep things in balance. So if I okay. reduce something by $5 over here, I'm going to go find an ad that's good to feed it the $5 to so I always know what my daily spend is. Yeah. I've I've made some interesting discoveries that way where I've seen this massive you know, spend on an ad where, and then I go and click on the keywords and start browsing through like, which keyword is actually spending all this money and not making me any money. And it turns out that this particular phrase is the name of a kid's, you know, children's video game. And it's serving like crazy and getting clicked on like crazy. And then it's, you know, going to like, it's completely the wrong audience. I've just, I just spent $60 on this yesterday, like advertising this to like kids who don't even have any money. why am i I doing this and i'm like because initially you see all these clicks you're like oh my gosh this is kind of amazing like what's what's happening here and then you're like oh that's it so you just turn off that keyword instead of killing the entire app because like i'm Mm -hmm. i'm very trigger happy with the nuclear option of just turn the whole thing off you know Mm -hmm. quit this turn everything off and walk away and go get another job that's that's my my alternative option to to advertising on any given day but i like your message yeah well, I followed your methodology for a long, long time. Where it's just like, I don't want to look at this. It's losing me money. It's painful. Yeah. And I finally shifted over to the pruning is not about turning ads off. It's about what are you learning? So mm-hmm. picture yourself as Mr. Miyagi and you're next to the bonsai tree and you're snipping little branches here and there. You know, you're looking at that tree. Why am I snipping that particular branch? And try to approach it like that. And, and it sounds really dorky, but the longer you do it, the more things become very clear. That's very zen of you. And that's a good attitude to have because sometimes what you're learning is that you have less money today than you had yesterday. And that's yes. not a very <laughs> <It's> zen, painful, <laughs> painful lesson. It's not a very zen thing to learn. Uh, I, uh, I approach ad spend as um, like just like you would gambling money. This is money that yeah. you flush down the toilet every month. So decide what your, your flush budget is. I'm going to flush $150 a month down the toilet. Mm-hmm. And maybe you'll get some book sales from that. But yeah. don't count on getting even a single book sale. And that's kind of how we have to approach it. Yeah, no, I think it's it's wise to, to have that attitude going in. And I think you're very upfront. One of the things I like about your books is you don't sugarcoat things. Um, and you say that, yeah, you could lose money in this. And, or you, know, you say things like that, which are not necessarily the most encouraging thing to hear. Um, but it's realistic and gives people good expectations of, of what to go in uh, knowing. Um, one other thing I was going to ask you, just because you sent out an email today about it. And it has nothing to do with ads for authors whatsoever. But you talked about how you uh, recently made the jump from uh, MailChimp over to ConvertKit, was it? Because mm-hmm. I know there's currently, a, for any all the authors listening, probably has been a bit of a kerfuffle going on with the, with the MailChimp crowd. Um, where we got it, we were all told recently that uh, all of our contacts are going to be counting as part of our audience as opposed to... Um, I know you've got a video coming out on this in the future, but I was hoping you could maybe spoil it a little bit. What, what made you decide to make the leap to a different uh, email service? Uh, it actually had nothing to do with that. So okay. I, I think what MailChimp is doing will become more common. Um, per mm-hmm. Tammy, what she's saying is that we are required to, to maintain those lists, that 
people have an option to be forgotten. And because they have an option to be forgotten, then we need our, our uh, mailing list providers to maintain unsubscribed people. Mm. Um, and if they're going to charge us to do that, then that sucks, but we're going to have to pay it. So that wasn't the reason I left MailChimp. The reason right. that I left MailChimp um, is they're unreliable and they're a pain in the ass to work with. Mm. <laughs> I okay. ran into problems where I would send out an email and I'd be promoting this book and then because they were having server outages, you know, 12,000 people are clicking this link and it's not going anywhere. It's just giving them an error message. So instead of me getting all the sales that I was hoping to get, you know, I just got a whole bunch of angry emails from people like your book's not available and your links don't work. And, you know, here comes yeah. the wave of unsubscribes. Yeah, that so devastating, especially during a launch. Yeah. So I, I decided I was going to move away um, last year, but I just didn't have the manpower for it. I finally found somebody who knows... Um, both ConvertKit and uh, MailChimp, who could do the entire process for me, so I just paid somebody to outsource it. Uh, uh, smart, <laughs> smart. We chose um, ConvertKit. It, it's not the best deliverability, but it's way up there on the list. It's one of the highest, and it's super easy to use. So I considered Active Campaign. Active Campaign is great, um, and it is the highest deliverability. Period. So if you want to make sure your emails get into people's inboxes, that's the one that you want use hmm. but um everybody that i've seen that's worked with it they tend to migrate away because it's just so daunting and, and so feature rich so i wanted something easy yeah i think easy is important i know a lot of people use mailer light and some other there's a few other options out there um a weber a weber yeah so i'm just i was just curious to hear your take on it i was impatient mm -hmm. didn't want to wait till next week's video so <laughs> there's gonna be an answer i've got i'm chatting with you may as well and let everyone else hear too since they're listening to the conversation but um, I see Kevin's watching. I see Benjamin's watching. Uh, thanks, guys, for tuning in and saying hi. So it's been great getting everyone's uh, you know comments and such. If you have more comments for Chris, we're going to wrap things up. But feel free to throw things up in the comments. And uh, you can always find Chris at uh, Chris Fox Writes. Is that right? What's your dot com? Yep. Dot, dot com. Chris Fox Writes dot com. Dot com. And I did throw up a link for ads for authors who hate math in the comments section. So uh, definitely check it out. You can see what he's doing over on his sales page for that. And it, you know, it's it's good information. I think it's something we all need. And uh, I, I definitely gained uh, some information from from it. So um, I think it was a, a great book. And like I said, I'm I'm one click buy on everything you write, Chris. So whatever you keep putting out, I'll keep buying it. So. Well, I need to write short books, one-page books. <laughs> yeah, price them at ten thousand dollars. <laughs> we save them a lot. Yeah, no, I appreciate you you taking the time to come on the show again and, and chat with us and, and reveal some of your tips and strategies. I think this has been really useful. I appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. I'm always happy to come chat. Yeah, and um, thank you for everyone who has been listening and watching. Uh, we overran our time by a little bit here. Um, but I hope everyone has a, a fantastic Memorial Day if you're listening to it this, this weekend. And then uh, we'll look forward to seeing you all again at a, in a future episode. So, so long for now. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>